Well, if you're here with us today for the first time, my name's Jay Duncan, and I have the great privilege of leading this house called Antioch Church. We want to welcome you here with us today. I want to echo and agree what Pastor Dan shared. We believe that God has uh, literally led you to be with us this morning, that you're not here by accident, that in some way he has guided and directed your footsteps. And uh, whether that means you'll be with us as a part of the family for many years to come, or maybe there is just something specific he has for you today, we believe that. We pray into that. We expect that. We have faith for that. And so um, we are believing that today will be an encounter for you. I want to go through a very quick uh, historical study. Study is probably not really a good word. I'm just going to brush on some things. You may have heard somebody mention this morning that today is actually the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. And if you'll go with me to the book of Acts chapter 1, there are a couple of things I feel like would be appropriate for us to look at as a body of believers, as a kingdom people, a kingdom community. This morning in pre-service prayer, as we were praying over Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, what a powerful time. We just actually read all of those uh, passages of scripture together broke it up and each of us read five verses each out of chapter one and chapter two till we finished those two chapters. And about three fourths of the way into us just reading and declaring the word, I felt the presence of the Lord descend upon that room in a very real uh, and a powerful manner. And uh, as we began reading that, I thought to myself, what a powerful redemptive history we belong to. How many of you know that as a body of believers, as believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus Christ, that we're connected to a long line of people that make our faith real and it make it possible today. People that have given their very lives so that we could experience the life and the hope and the resurrection and the joy and the righteousness of Jesus that we get to experience day in and day out. We're connected to a long lineage of believers in Christ. Uh, even those that extend before Christ, we belong to an incredible redemptive history. Now I want to explain that in just a few minutes. Uh, For those of you who may be new to this, uh, Jesus Christ, we believe to be God and we believe to be the son of God. And uh, if you're new to the scriptures, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do a fantastic job. These are called the gospels of the New Testament. They do an incredible job describing not only who Jesus is, but they... um, They are an analysis of his ministry on the earth. They chronicle his birth, they chronicle his life, his ministry, and his death. His death being the most significant death uh, of any human being on the planet because not only did he die, but when he died, he took upon himself all of the sins of humanity. Past, present, and future, he took upon himself. And then as scripture says, death could not hold him. He destroyed the power of sin and he destroyed the power of death. He overcame the grave when he resurrected from the dead three days later to ascend to the right hand of God. During his earthly ministry, he selected 12 guys that he poured his life into for an approximate time, about three and a half years. He mentored them, he discipled them, he fathered them, he trained them. One of those guys defected and uh, ended up being at this part of the journey, 11 guys who were his closest friends, his most devout followers, and the people that would become the leader of the church. Now, in Acts chapter one, we're gonna read a few verses here in honor of today being Pentecost. Verse one, in my former book, Theophilus, this is Luke writing, he says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So if you wanna know what the gospels are, they're very simply an account of everything that Jesus taught and and most everything that he did. Verse two, until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, so Jesus encountered a very great deal of suffering at the hands of men. Uh, It was unjust. He was an innocent man, but it was because of the nature of his unjust suffering that he was actually able to be a blood sacrifice for the sins of humanity because he himself was not guilty. He was innocent He took upon our guilt and our shame upon himself. So after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and he gave many convincing proofs that he was in fact alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So it's interesting that one of the most important things in Jesus's earthly ministry was the kingdom. And if you go back and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that he teaches what the kingdom of God is 
He uh, describes many stories, lessons, parables to help us understand the nature of the kingdom, principles by which the kingdom operates off of. And isn't it interesting that after he dies and resurrects, the very thing that he comes back to make sure that we understand is the kingdom. For 40 days, his message, his focus, his emphasis has not changed. He's preaching about the kingdom to these guys. On one occasion, verse four, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Everybody say, wait for the gift. There's incredible reference here to the Holy Spirit. He says, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot, of inf- there's a lot that's behind those statements. And I'm not going to dig into all of that today. What I'm very simply going to say is, um, Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He did it then. He does it today. I don't know what your uh, past has been. I don't know what you've been exposed to as it relates to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. And uh, the Holy Spirit is very alive and real today. He's not some cosmic being. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit is the one who comes and dwells. He takes up residence in our spirit to help us become more like Christ and to empower us to be witnesses for our assignment in the earth. We love the Holy Spirit. You know, it's sad, but many churches um, either kind of fall on one side of the spectrum. We don't understand much about the Holy Spirit, so we don't talk about them. Or um, uh, we have given the Holy Spirit maybe a kind of a bad rap because of things that we do that are out of balance and, and out of nature and out of order in some ways. Sometimes out of our zeal, we make unwise decisions and then we attribute that to the Holy Spirit. And now all of a sudden, nobody wants anything to do with the Holy Spirit anymore. Let me be very clear. We are a charismatic church. And when I say charismatic, what I mean by that is we believe in the present day ministry of the Holy Spirit today. We believe that we must have the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many times I I say this to myself. I say this to my friends and my family. I have no idea what my life and what my ministry would be like without Holy Spirit. I don't even want to imagine life ministry or leadership without Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit activity. He is my closest friend, comforter, counselor, teacher, guide. He leads me. Um, He guides me through uh, situations in life where I have no idea what to do. He comforts me in times of grief. Uh, He helps me pray. I do pray in the spirit every day. And uh, those of you who have not yet experienced that reality, I encourage you to ask Jesus to uh, lead you into greater revelation of that because it will absolutely change your life and it will change your effectiveness and fruitfulness in ministry. And uh, we make no apologies for that. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse six, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. So now these guys were all expecting the kingdom of God to be restored. They expected Jesus to do that when he was there in his earthly ministry in the flesh. Uh, they went through a great amount of disappointment, a great amount of grieving because the people of Israel at that time were, were expecting the restoration, I believe, of that nation, but they, were, they had a kind of a skewed idea of what the restoration of the kingdom of God was to be. So that's the context here in this question that they're asking, uh, are, you gonna, are you now? So you've died and you've come back and now it's time for you to restore Israel and for you to restore the kingdom of God to earth. And he just says, hey, listen, let's not worry about those things. All right, you're, you're still a little misguided here. Look at what he says to them, verse eight. He says, here's what you need to focus on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. The implication there is that there is a power that was available to them that they were not yet walking in. Do you agree with that? You will receive. The implication there is that this is something that we can, and if Jesus is offering it, we should receive. Okay, it's a gift. Implication here is, is that if Jesus was offering it, it was paramount and important for the assignment at hand. All of the context here is so important. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit 
comes upon you. And then he says this, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth. Let me make this statement because I've heard people say this before. I've heard people say, well, uh, this is a sequence. And once Jerusalem is reached, then they should have gone to Judea. And then once Judea was reached, they should have went to Samaria. And then once Samaria is reached, they, sh- they were to go to the utter ends of the earth. I've heard people use that in reference to our own cities. And they would say, well, we're not really supposed to go to other nations with the gospel until our city is reached. And I want you to know that that's erroneous. That when Jesus said that, he wasn't speaking of a sequence. He was speaking that these were the broad, these these are the furthest reaches that every believer is supposed to go. We're supposed to reach our city and we're supposed to reach the tribe around the world that has never heard the Jesus at, at the same time. We're supposed to do that. All right, so I just want to make sure we understand here we're a global church. We have a passion to see our city transform, but we have a heart to see every tribe and tongue of people around the planet that have not experienced the life that we experience in the kingdom of God. We want them to know who Christ is. You know, if we waited for our city to be reached, we would never leave Colorado Springs to go reach people in Asia, Africa, Europe, the Americas. It has to be done all at the same time. How many of you guys are with me on that? I want to zone in here on the fact that Jesus says that there is a power that is available for us. And that power that he is referencing is not only the abiding Holy Spirit, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's skip over to verse uh, 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying And those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, all the 11 that I mentioned before. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. We've preached many times about the fact that the church that Jesus builds is a praying church. Every week we get together at 9.15 before service. We have prayer meetings that meet all throughout the week. As a staff, we pray every day. We pray for each other. We pray for the house. We pray for the city. We pray for the nations, life groups. One of the main points of focus for our life groups is prayer because prayer is our lifeline to the resources of heaven. Prayer is our communication point to the Father. We are a praying church. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the life of God that is available in prayer. We believe that God speaks today and he speaks to us in prayer. We believe that there is a warfare component to prayer. We believe there is a prophetic dynamic that is involved in prayer. We believe that when we pray things out, that the very will of God, that we're participating with God in his will coming to pass on the earth. We find that in Matthew chapter six, verse 10, where Jesus says, when you pray, pray as such, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He's actually commanding and commissioning us to partner with him to bring forth his will in the earth. We are a praying church. And we find that the disciples, that they waited in obedience and they prayed, they prayed. I wish I could have been a part of those prayer meetings. I wonder what they were praying for. But I believe, and we're gonna see this here as we fast forward to Acts chapter two. I believe that what happens in Acts chapter two, uh, verses one through four, if, you, if you've read the book of Acts or if you haven't, if you take a look at Acts chapter three and the man there who's getting healed, who has been crippled all his life, if you look at Acts chapter four, you'll see this powerful prayer meeting where the disciples get together and the walls were shaken. If you look at Acts chapter five, you'll see the apostles are testifying to the grace of God with miracles and signs and wonders. If you look at Acts chapter six, I mean, on and on it goes. I believe that everything that we see in the book of Acts, we can trace back to a prayer meeting that these people had while they were waiting in faithful obedience to the commands of Jesus. So let's look at Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost, verse one. When the day of Pentecost came, that is today. Today is the day of Pentecost. Hebrew calendar, today is the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Fast forward with me, if you would, Acts chapter two to verse 42. In the previous verses here, before we look at verse 42, as a result of this, there's a number of people who didn't understand what was going on. Some of them began to mock. Some of them began to ask questions. Peter, who was one of Jesus' main disciples, stood up and he begins to preach the gospel to them. He explains to them the life, ministry, death, resurrection, and he explains to them exactly what's happening here in that moment when the Spirit of God was poured out. And as a result of that, verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, the Bible says those who accepted his message were baptized and 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42 in Acts chapter 2 says they devoted themselves to a number of things to pure doctrine, the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship. This is one of the reasons why life groups is so important to us because we believe that it is impossible to bring transformation to the earth without understanding and practicing and actually operating in what we call kingdom community. It worked for them. We believe that it's imperative for us today. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread something we practice today, that participation in the life, that participation in the body, the blood, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to pray together here for a few minutes before I launch into the word this morning. Number one, I want to encourage your hearts and I want to fill your heart with faith. I want to fill your heart with hope. This was a day that I believe in the, in the heart and the mind of God, God saw this day in eternity past. I believe that before Adam ever came into existence in the Garden of Eden, I believe that before uh, Adam and Eve ever chose to sin and break covenant relationship with God, before Jesus himself was ever sent to the earth, God fast forwarded and he saw a day. He saw a day where mankind wasn't separated from God through sin. He saw a day where mankind wasn't separated from God through a a mediator or a priest. Or uh, He saw a day when his people, his sons and daughters, were filled with his very spirit and endued with power by his spirit to participate and partner with him in advancing his kingdom in the earth. There's a lot of uh, prophetic implications Uh, for, for the day of Pentecost. And there's a lot of very now implications for what this means for us. The day of Pentecost was a day of harvest. It was a day of the fulfillment of promise. It was a day where God's spirit was poured out. It was a day where people were activated. And if you're joining us today for the first time for the past five weeks, we've been on a series called Activation. We've been on a series focusing on how we can participate with God in becoming everything he's called us to be and to do everything he's called us to do. And you know that these disciples, they were thrust into another level of activation when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Quick, quick story here. You know, one of the, one of Jesus's chief leaders, his name was Peter. If you don't know much about Peter, Peter is a great guy, bold guy, brash guy, but he also dealt with a little fear of man. And there's a story where uh, Peter and Jesus are having a conversation and, and Peter says to Jesus, man, I'll never leave you. No matter what happens, I'm with you till the end. And Jesus looks at him with eyes of compassion, with eyes of love. And he says, Peter, there's gonna come a day when you're actually gonna deny me. And as the story goes, Peter does that. He doesn't just deny Peter or he doesn't just deny Jesus once. He denies Jesus three times. And the guilt and the shame of you know, this man that he loves, his teacher, his master, his greatest friend, and he, he, he just bailed. He totally betrayed Jesus' trust. Well, he struggled a lot with the fear of man. 
Well, Peter, the same guy who denies Jesus, is the very guy who stands up on the day of Pentecost and now boldly and courageously preaches the gospel, fearlessly preaches the gospel. How did that happen? Well, because between the time he denied Jesus and the time that he's standing up and preaching Jesus, something very significant happened. He got baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one, verse eight happened. You will receive power, Peter. You'll receive power to preach the gospel. You'll receive power to be my witness. You'll receive power to stand up and to boldly declare who I am to people that don't know who I am. And I believe that that same empowerment of the Holy Spirit is available for us today. So if you would here, let's take a minute. And I just wanna pray. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray over you. And I wanna pray that we would just participate with the redemptive history of this day and we will participate with the prophetic implication of what is available this day on this day of Pentecost. And we say to you, dear God, today, we just posture our hearts in a position of faith. We posture our hearts in a position of uh, expectation in the same way that those disciples met every day in the same way that they prayed and they looked for that time. They looked for the promise. They waited for the promise. God, today we are waiting for the promise. We are waiting for the gift. We are expecting a greater empowerment of your spirit. We are expecting a greater activation of the gift of healing and the gift of miracles and the gift of the word of wisdom and words of knowledge and, and the, 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 the gift of tongues and, and the, um, in the interpretation of tongues. And God, we're waiting, Father, for a greater dispensation of the, of the gift of discernment. Father, we, we are asking everything that, it ha that you have that is available for us. God, we just say we want it. We want it. And we believe that you'll grow us and you'll teach us and you'll train us like a new kid getting a new tool or getting a new weapon or getting a new toy. That you take great delight in pulling us close and teaching us how to use those things so we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to reject your gift. God, I pray today that you would pour out gifts on your people today. I pray today that you would stir up and activate gifts in your people today. I pray, God, that today would be a day of harvest for this, for this city and for this house. God, I thank you that you are leading us into a greater season of harvest, a harvest of souls, a harvest of inheritance, a harvest of promises fulfilled that you've made to us. And God, we just thank you for it today. We release our faith. We believe for greater. We're pressing in for more. And God, we ask that you would baptize us afresh today. Church, would you just pray that with me? Jesus, would you baptize me afresh? Baptize me afresh afresh, afresh. Baptize me afresh in your spirit. God, I want a new baptism of your vision. I want a new baptism of love, a new baptism of compassion, a new baptism of power, a new baptism of courage. I want a new baptism of strength. God, I'm asking you to do that today for Antioch Church. Do it for every single one of us. Baptize fathers with a new love for their children. Baptize husbands with a new love for their wives and wives with a new love for their husbands, God. Baptize leaders with a new vision for the era you've called them to. Baptize us afresh, we pray. Oh God, pour your spirit out on us like you poured it out on the church of old and thrust us into a greater measure of effectiveness and fire for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Come on, let's just clap our hands to the Lord this morning. We don't ever want to grow stagnant. We don't ever want to get satisfied. We don't ever want to just sit back. There's more that God has for you. There's more that God has for you. Well, turn with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 29, and we're going to talk for a few more minutes this morning about how vision activates our lives, how vision is critical to activation. Had a phenomenal time with our life group leaders this past Thursday as, um, as we interacted around this truth that vision is critical to activation. What do we mean by activation? What we mean by that is uh, there were, there's something very unique that God has put inside of every single one of us. He has created every single one of us uniquely and he has also created us to do something very unique in the earth. And when I say something, it's really a number of things. And the process of activation is where those things that he's created us to be and those things that he's created us to do, they get flipped on, they get turned on. And we begin operating in those things and functioning in those things. And we begin walking in those things intentionally and powerfully. That's what we want for every believer in the church. 
That's what we want for every single person that's in this place. And, uh, you know, throughout the grapevine of interaction and communication, I'm hearing more and more different people, they're starting to do things. People are starting to write books that they've put off for years. People are starting to start uh, classes and, and, uh, that, they, that they've put off for years. People are starting to attend classes along the lines of their passion. And I just, I just feel my, my faith and my prayer for this summer is that God would crash and deposit something so deep into the DNA of this house. One of my personal prayers is that this would be a house where every single son and daughter of the Lord is activated into who God's created them to be and what God has called them to do. Those of you, I believe you're gonna dream again. I believe you're gonna start to hear and see the vision of the Lord. I believe you're gonna interact with God in new ways and he's gonna show you things that are gonna cause you to come alive like never before. Those are the things I pray for you on a very regular basis. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Scripture says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Proverbs 29, verse 18. The NIV renders it as such, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Other translations say, where there is no prophetic word of God, where there is no divine guidance, People are destroyed. People perish. There's actually one translation that says people run free like wild horses. They run crazy. They just run free. There's no restraint. I want to talk here for a couple of minutes about how powerful vision is and just focusing in on this truth that where there is no vision, life ceases. Where there is no divine understanding of God, the potential for that thing that is that is in our life will not be actualized to the degree that it could be when we are operating without that divine guidance, without that divine understanding, without heaven's vantage point and without heaven's viewpoint, we will not experience the fullness of the life and the blessing of God. We read this last week in John chapter five, verse 17, 18 and 19. Jesus says it like this, the son can do nothing but what he sees the father doing. In other words, Jesus was saying, out of all the things that I could do in my own personality, in my own abilities, in my own gifts, he's saying nothing that I do will make a difference for eternity unless it's what I see the Father doing. Jesus was essentially saying what Proverbs 29 verse 18 is saying, without us seeing what the Father is seeing and without us getting into alignment with what the Father is doing in our lives, we can do nothing. And the great struggle, the great tug of war that mankind has with God is that God has created us in his image and that God has created us with his glory and that God has created us with divine ability inside of us. So the great tug of war that we have is, well, there are great things I can do and I can imagine and my willpower is strong and I, you have given me gifts. And we see that all throughout biblical history and human history, mankind has struggled into creating, developing, dreaming, envisioning their own future and their own things versus doing what God has created and led them to do. From the Garden of Eden to the Tower of Babel to on and on and on it goes throughout history. The, the, the question is, are we utilizing who God has created us to be and what God has created us to do and what God has given. Are we utilizing that to fulfill his vision or ours? Fundamental question throughout all of human history. Are we living our lives according to our vision or are we living our lives according to his? Where there is no prophetic revelation from God. And I wanna take a look at every area of our lives one of the things that I asked the life group leaders this past Thursday night, I said, I want you to think about a time where you were trucking along and you were living your life in a certain way and God revealed a vision for an area of your life. And I want you to tell a story about how, how life changed as a result of you receiving that vision or that prophetic revelation of God. And one of the people that answered gave an example of their finances. Christy and I actually could tell a story about our finances and how we were trucking along and making poor decisions financially because we had no vision. We had no prophetic revelation from God. We had no understanding. We had no clear direction of where we wanted to be and the fact that God could lead us there. And as a result, we fulfilled Proverbs 29 verse 18. There's a season of life where we lived without restraint. 
See, here's what you need to understand. Vision will produce discipline in your lives. Think about that. This is what he says. Where there is no vision, the people cast off boundaries. They cast off government. They live wild and free. They don't live their lives in a disciplined manner. They make decisions that only benefit the moment. They don't operate out of delayed gratification. They, they operate out of instant gratification. So if you have a discipline issue, maybe the issue isn't discipline, maybe the issue's vision. You know, another practical example of this, we have the Olympic Training Center right down the road from us. And that, that is a perfect example of people living extremely disciplined lives. And if you were to interview any one of those people and ask them, why are you giving up so much? Why are you giving up eating the way that other people could eat? Why are you giving up time? Why are you doing things that are extremely difficult? And they would say, because I have a vision of me standing and having a gold medal around my neck. It's a vision. And that vision is dictating the decisions that they make. And that vision is producing discipline in their lives. I think about passion. I think about passion. One of the questions that we asked each other in our life group leader meeting is we said, tell a story of a time when a renewed vision created passion in your life. And we had people tell stories about, man, my marriage was renewed because I caught a fresh vision for it. Don't you know that if you got a passion problem, maybe it's not that you have to will up and drum up more passion. You don't have to will up and drum up more excitement. You have to see what father sees. And once you catch God's vision for a thing, then excitement for that thing will begin to flow. And most of the time we don't have passion because we can't see what it is that God is seeing. Whatever it is for your finances, for your marriage, for your children, for difficult situations. You know, we could ask the question, explain a time in your life when a renewed vision created persistence, when a renewed vision led to a greater perseverance when a renewed vision caused you to change some things in your lives. In fact, that was one of the questions that one of the life group leaders threw out in our group. And I said, I've got a great story, very practical story. Our entire life changed because we caught a vision. 10 years ago, August, 2004, God led us, my wife and me, to come to Colorado Springs. It was in May of 2004 that one of the previous executive pastors at that time, the church was called Springs Harvest. He gave us a call. He asked us if we'd pray about coming and being on staff here. We prayed. We went through a number of processes. But I remember a time in that journey where Christy and I said, we, we need to know that this is something that God is leading us to do. So we decided that we'd fast because people had told us, if you're gonna work, at that particular ministry, you must know that it is God who's calling you to do it because there is an element of difficulty involved in that decision. And so one day, as we were there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we were fasting and praying before the Lord and Christy said, you know, I'm just getting a little tired. And I said, yeah, me too. I said, you know, we don't have to strive for this thing. The Lord will speak to us. I said, you know, let's just go take a nap. It's no big deal. We took a nap and in that nap, God gave me a vision, gave me a dream, a very real dream. And in that dream, he showed me the students of this ministry and the students of this city. And when we awoke from that dream, I shared it with her and there was a passion and there was an excitement and there was a clear direction. And let me tell you, the first four years of our time here was extremely difficult. And the thing that held us through that was a vision. It was a prophetic revelation. It was divine guidance. And we were able to stay within boundaries. We were able to keep on that restraint. We were able to not run crazy and free. In fact, in our first year, we had three offers from three very large churches and three churches that we would have loved to work at. And the thing that helped us say no to those enticing offers was that we had a prophetic revelation of God. See, having vision from God will not only show you what to say yes to, but having a vision from God will show you what to say no to. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Husbands, I've been praying for you. Fathers, I've been praying for you all this week as we've been going, as we're, as we're nearing uh, Father's Day next week. I know that when I'm on my game, I'm extremely intentional with my children because I have a vision of who I want them to be. And we'll talk more about that next week. That vision creates creativity. That vision produces a passion. That vision gives me strength and energy for my kids. But when I'm not on my game, I don't have that but I'm praying for you fathers that God would grant unto you his vision for your children.
Let me say this, that um, vision does not happen automatically. That the, the picture that you have for your kids to become, the picture that you have for your marriage to become, the picture for who it is that you want yourself to become or that God wants you to become will not happen automatically. It's a process of pressing in. And that being said, I wanna to close today in the next few minutes and I wanna talk about there are times in our lives where we need to have a renewed vision. There are times in our lives where our vision must be renewed. And what do I mean by that? Very simply, you can look at the same thing and be doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. But how many of you know you can do the same thing but see it a new way? You can do the same thing and see it a new way. You're still going to the same job, but you can see it a new way. Still doing the same functions and the same responsibilities, but you can do it and you can see it a new way. Same marriage, I'm seeing it a new way. Same kids, I'm seeing it a new way. Same, same finances coming in, but because I'm seeing it a new way, I'm appropriating it in a different manner. And it's natural and it's normal for us to lose sight of a heavenly vision for every area of our life. That's why vision must be renewed. I believe that every day Jesus got up, he had to renew his vision. Every day, every day. This is not just a discipline thing. This is not just a willpower thing. This is seeing and capturing God's vision for every area of your lives. Go with me if you would for the next few minutes to Mark chapter eight. Let me pull out a couple of thoughts for you in terms of renewing God's vision for your lives. What I know is that when God begins to renew your vision, that strength and that energy and that passion to press into those things that God has put, that, are, that have always been there, they may be mundane, they may be difficult, they may be the areas where you've drifted, what you need is a renewed vision, church. God has given me a renewed vision for this house. I, I was sharing with some people that are very, very close to me, some of my staff members and some of our life group leaders. The past year and a half has been very, very difficult for myself and my family. And the moment that we discovered that we had twins, it just has been a difficult journey. Learning to make those adjustments, the fatigue that was upon Christy carrying those children for nine and a half months or a little bit less, five weeks less than nine and a half months. And then the four months there of... of um, in a lot of ways, just being in survival mode, getting 30 minutes to an hour of sleep each night and just, just walking through that whole process. Some of the internal struggles uh, that we've experienced as an organization, even my own life, putting our house on the market and all the time that's ex that, that, that you expend in, in getting a house ready. Some of the responsibilities that I have outside of even my, my role as a leader of this house. It's been a very tiring year and a half. And I found myself this week crying out to God, and I heard in my spirit, as I began to pray for this house, I began hearing myself crying out for a renewed vision, a renewed vision. And as God began to show me, and, and it's so powerful as he does this, and I'll unpack this as the weeks go on, I'm getting renewed vision for our children's ministry. I'm getting renewed vision for our youth and for our young adults, for our men, for our women, for our husbands, our fathers. I'm getting renewed vision for our worship, for church planting, for our life groups, for our global impact, I'm getting renewed vision of what it means to be Antioch Church in the earth in this hour. It affects my prayers and it will affect yours. It affects my excitement to get up in the morning. It is affecting my creativity, my, my solutions to problems, my ability to handle difficult situations that come. I'm telling you what you need in this hour is we need God to renew our vision for the things that seem dry or mundane or difficult in our lives. Mark chapter eight, there's a story where Jesus is asked to minister to a blind man. We'll begin in verse 22. And for the sake of time, I won't unpack all these. I'll just leave them with you to unpack on your own. I'll just reference them. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. Sometimes you have to get outside of the village to see again. Sometimes you have to get outside of your circle of negativity or your circle of accusation, judgment, criticism, pessimism. You got to get outside of that circle. Some you got to get out of the village, all right? 
There's a reason why when Jesus went to go heal Jairus' daughter, the first thing he did was he kicked out all those people who are filled with negativity and doubt and fear. Get out of here. You are affecting the atmosphere. You're affecting the ability for this father to see what he needs to see. You're affecting the faith climate. And so he's like, hey, you know what? Come here, come here, let's get out. I love this. He takes this man. I can't, I can't start preaching right now. I can't do it. I've got four minutes. I can't do this. I can't do it. I've got a vision for ending on time. I've got a vision for ending on time. Takes this man. He takes this man by the hand, all right? And he walks him out the city, okay? He gets him out of that negative climate. And he says, listen, in order for you to see, I've got to take you somewhere you haven't been. All right, Mark chapter 8, 22, verse 23. Took the blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village and he spit on the man's eyes and he put his hands on him. Now, if you want to see again, it's going to take you doing something maybe that you haven't done. Maybe Jesus wants to do something unfamiliar with you. Well, you didn't do that with Bartimaeus. Why you got to spit on my eyes? I don't know, but you just, hey, how badly do you want to see? Now, how badly do you want to see? Now, if we're honest with ourselves, some of us are not willing to see what God wants to show us about our marriage because it might mean that you, sir, have to change. Some of us aren't willing to see what God wants to show us about our financial future because it means that we don't get to go out to eat every single night. It means that there's gonna be more restraints on our lives because he's showing us something that he wants to lead us into. On and on it goes, friends, I'm telling you, are you willing to undergo the process that God is inviting you into in order to see? So he spits on his eyes and he puts his hands on them. And Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. In other words, the vision's not clear. There might've been times in your life and past seasons where you have done things that the Lord has invited you into and uh, you're having a hard time seeing again. There might've been times in your life where you've done things that Lord has asked you to do. And when you were doing them, you didn't have a great clarity, but you just kept moving forward with the amount of clarity that you had, and that was good. But watch what happens right here. And we've heard this, you know, Prophet Chuck Pierce has preached this in the past, and it's become, it's become this mantra in my life. There are times when the Lord would say unto you, look again. Look at it again. Look at the same thing in a different way. I want to show you this. I want to show you the thing that you've been looking at for years, but I'm going to show you it from a different angle. You're going to see something you haven't seen before. You're gonna learn how to pray in a new way. You're gonna learn how to operate in your faith in another measure. You're gonna learn how to give in a new way. Friends, listen, don't come in here and just give. Give in a new way. See giving through heaven's revelation. Every day is an opportunity to see again, to look again at the things that God has for your life. Very quickly here, three things happen. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. And I thought this was interesting. The NIV renders it as such. His eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Amen. His eyes were opened, his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Very quickly, let me just touch this very, very quickly. The word there where it says his eyes were opened. Any, Any of you heard this verse where Jesus says, why are you looking at the man who has a speck in his eye? He says, first, take the log or the plank out of your eyes so that you will be able to see clearly. Same word here. It's only used three times in the New Testament, twice for the example I just used and once right here. The word there is diablepo. It means to look into a thing. It means to see into the dynamics of a thing. The first thing that we have to understand here is that for our vision to be renewed, we need to ask Jesus to remove everything in our eyes that is keeping us from seeing. What is it in your life? Is it fear? Is it a negative experience? 
Is it insecurity? Is it orphanhood? Whatever it is in your own life that is keeping you from looking into the vision that God has for you. God, we want to die a bleppo. We don't want to just glance. We want to look into the thing that you have for us. Remove all the obstructions and the obstacles from my eye. It might be a forgiveness issue. It might be a change of a paradigm, but God, whatever it is, open my eyes. Number two, it says that his sight was restored. The word there, restore, means it was returned back to its original state. And there was a time in many of our lives where we were going and we were operating in the thing that God was showing us, but we got sidetracked. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a mistake that you made. Maybe you fell back into a besetting sin and God is saying, listen, I want to open your eyes, but I also want to restore your eyes. I want to bring you back into that place of sonship. I want to bring you back into that place of wholeness. I want to help you see by healing your heart. Many of us can't see well because our heart is sick. And in order for us to see properly, we not only have to remove obstructions, we, might, we not only have to change paradigms, some of our heart needs to be restored. How many of you need vision restored in your lives in this season of your life? God, I pray that you would restore vision, that you would heal and make whole and mend the hearts of your people. If we're not careful, negative experiences will create a new lens for the way that we see. And it'll be hard for you to participate with the vision of God because everything you see has been so uh, skewed by the negative experience that you've had. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy does not want you to see what God sees because he knows how vision activates everything in your life. The third thing here is it says he began to see clearly, everything clearly. The word there, and it doesn't say it so much in the NIV, NIV says he saw, I believe it's the New King James Version, it says he began to see. The word there is emblepo, and it means that he began to perceive the things around him. And the word clearly is only used once in the New Testament. The word says radiance or the light that breaks forth at daylight. Now I want us to put this together, that when we remove the obstructions from our sight, when our heart and our emotions and our identity is restored, we will begin now, check this out. There's another word for, uh, every, for, for everything. One of the words is uh, eternal. Let me, just, let me just say this really quick. The word is telagos, and we get a part of that, part of that word is telos, which we know means end, but it also means purpose and eternity. In order for our vision to be restored, we need God to reveal unto us a eternal purpose for everything that we do. The reason why our marriages are failing is because husbands are not seeing God's eternal purpose. There is an eternal purpose for us repenting. There is an eternal purpose for us uh, owning our problems. There is an eternal purpose. Get out of the moment. Yes, it's difficult. Get into the eternal purpose. See the telos, see the end of this thing. See the vision, see the final product and let that guide, let that put restraints on you and let that guide the decisions that you're going to make. And on and on it goes. Friends, this is a season to see eternal purpose in everything that it is that you're doing. You may not be where you want to be, but in order for you to leave where you want to be different, you have to see an eternal purpose from where you are. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Father, we thank you that you don't just put us on the earth to exist, to make it, to maintain. God, we thank you that you have an eternal purpose for us. And right now, if there's any part of this message at all that is speaking to you, if you would say, you know what, that's me, I need renewed vision. It's funny, we asked, we were praying for each other as life group leaders. And uh, the question I asked the two men that I prayed with, I said, I said uh, in what area in your life do you need a renewed vision? And then they said, uh, Pastor Jade, in what area of your life do you need a renewed vision? I say, listen, I'm not trying to win a prize here, but the truth is I need a renewed vision in every area of my life. From my physical weight, from my finances, to the home I'm moving into, to the family I'm building, to the church that I'm leading, to the auxiliary ministries that I lead outside of here, I, I need heaven's gaze again. I absolutely need it. 
And if you're here today and you would say, would you pray for me? I need a renewed vision. Just throw your hand up in the air. All around this room, all around this room. I'm gonna pray for you, but here's what I'm gonna ask as we leave today. I want you to hang out here for about five minutes and I want you to look around at somebody next to you. I want you to get in groups of three or four. And I want you to pray for that renewed vision for one another. Guys, this can't just, I can't be driving this. This is something that we've got to link arms and we've got to rally together. and We've got to press into one another and say, I'm gonna pray that my friends here get a renewed vision. I'm gonna pray that my family members in Antioch Church get a renewed vision. So right now I bless you Antioch Church to see again, to look again. I bless you to look again. If you see trees, if you see men walking like trees, I pray that, that the hand of God would touch your eyes again, that the hand of the Lord would remove every plank and remove every obstruction, that he would show you the things that are obstructing your vision and that he would restore worth and value and love and identity to you, that he would restore, he'd restore hope and restore strength to you. I'm praying today that God would make everything clear that he would begin to comprehensively tie in everything. I pray that he would show you from his vantage point situations that have happened in the past. Injustices, violations, difficulties, struggles, strains and sacrifices. I pray today that God would give you an eternal perspective on those things. That he would show you eternal purpose in every season and every chapter of your life. God, I pray, let eternity explode in the vision of your people. And God, I'm asking, renew our vision. I'm asking as a father that you would renew the visions of the fathers in Antioch Church. I'm asking that you would renew the vision of the mothers in Antioch Church. For those that tried ministry and got burned, they got hurt, they got betrayed. God, I'm asking that you would renew the vision of ministry in the hearts of Antioch Church. Those that got burnt out, those that tried and they got abused in some manner. I'm asking that you would restore their passion to serve and that you, oh God, you, oh God, would give us your vision. Give us a fresh vision for children. Give us a fresh vision for Colorado Springs. Give us a fresh vision for business and education and government and family. Give us a fresh vision for everything it is that you want Antioch to be in the earth. Give us a fresh vision for the nations of the earth that don't know you. God, we're asking today for heaven's vision. Heaven's vision for our health. Heaven's vision for our finances. Heaven's vision for recreation and rest and Sabbath. God, we want heaven's vision. And I'm asking today that a special grace from heaven will come upon every single one of you to look again and to see again in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, why don't you look around and find someone that you can minister to and you can agree with and you can bless.